Wow, that was a powerful, powerful way to start this sermon. I do want to begin with inviting our children whom we love. Uh, if they choose, uh, there is a service specifically designed for them during this time. And as they're walking out the door uh, to hang out with Miss Shalene, I just want to say, just voice again, how privileged we are to have such beautiful kids <laughs> part of our church <laughs> with so much life and vigor and energy. It's, 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 uh, it's a blessing that we have. Uh, these are the future. And what a blessing it is to, to see them, to hear them. And also, uh, we also have the LTC so, uh, that is provided each week. So those children that are a part of our LTC program, uh, you're, you're welcome now to head to the back of the auditorium. And uh, in the treehouse is what we call it. Um, we have an opportunity for you to go deeper into the Word of God. And, uh, and that's LTC upstairs. But man, thank you uh, for coming today. Thank you for arriving. Because, I mean, how many of us, how many of us, we missed an hour of sleep last night? <laughs> Every single one of us. I don't know why this time change happens. I don't like it. But I'm so grateful that all of you are here today. Uh, if you're a visitor here at Skillman, we are so happy that you are here. Uh, we are a community of faith that follows the teachings of Jesus. We are a community that strives to live by faith. We strive to advocate hope, and we want to be known by love in our community. And today, I do want to say there's a special couple of guests out in the audience. Specifically, uh, my parents are here. Uh, my mom and dad are here on the fourth row. Anyway, you can surround them after the services. But knowing that my mom was here, my mom is actually Cecilia's Mor Cecilia Morgan's younger sister. Uh, and so, uh, you know, there's it's a, it's a family here for, for a while. And knowing that she was here, I did have to take out some of my jokes um, in the sermon. Uh, <laughs> just because, you know, you, when your mom's out in the audience, you got to be on your best behavior. Um, and also, uh, my father's here, and, you know, one of my personal heroes. And again, if there was, uh, you know, both of my parents, but in Hebrews 11 for me, they would be on that. And I remember last week, how many of you were here last week to hear uh, Larry Henderson? Uh, it was an amazing uh, sermon that he gave. And there, we also have a podcast uh, that we recorded, an interview with Larry Henderson. That, you know, at your leisure, you can go online to our website and check that website, uh, check that podcast episode out where he explains a little bit more his story and some ideas on faith. But uh, I thought I'd kind of open up... Open up uh, today's sermon with a story that wasn't told on the podcast, but involves my dad and Larry, because, you know, Larry was here last week, my dad's here this week, and in the podcast it mentions that they, they used to travel a lot together and, and go to different conferences around Southeast Asia, and there was one particular story that I just love to tell, and my kids love for me to tell this story, but they were on an airplane one time, uh, Larry and my dad were on an airplane going somewhere, and they sat down, and when they sat down, they noticed that behind them, in the row behind them, was this, was this little family. And it was a little boy, and we'll call the little boy Little Johnny. It wasn't his name, but just for the sake of storytelling, we'll just call him Little Johnny. And you had Little Johnny, and you had Little Johnny's uh, parents, and Little Johnny's mom, leading to the flight, was very concerned. And they could hear in the row ahead, now Little Johnny, you need to be on your best behavior. This is an airplane ride, you know, we're all together here. You need to, you know, scream, don't yell, don't kick that person's seat in front of you. And little Johnny's like, yes, yes, mom, you know, yes, mom. But you could tell little Johnny was a little bit <laughs> mischievous uh, just by the way that, that, that the mom was talking to little Johnny. 
And so the flight goes on. You could oftentimes hear little Johnny's uh, mom correcting him on the flight, not to do this, not to do that. And it came time during the flight. Now, for those of you who are young, here's the here's deal. A long time ago, they used to serve food on air flights. They used to, it was free. A long time ago, you'd be on a flight and they would serve you a meal. Now you have to pay for the peanuts, you know. But uh, a long time ago, it was, a, it was a meal. And so it came time on the airplane ride for the meal to come. And uh, that road that my dad and Larry were on got their food and little Johnny got his food. And you could tell little Johnny's mom was a little concerned because, you know, he, when he ate, he was typically pretty messy, you could tell. And so little Johnny's mom was like, hey, little Johnny, you need to make sure that you don't play with your food. Don't get it all over your clothes, don't get it all on your face. Be very careful with your food, little Johnny. Well, the row ahead of them was my dad and Larry. I don't know which one, I think it was you. You were trying to open one of those jellies that was in one of those packages uh, where you have, to, you have to tear off the lid and inside the plastic is, is the jelly. Well, as the story goes, my dad was taking this jelly and he was, it was kind of hard to do. He's kind of hard. Finally, he got it open and he looked inside and there was no jelly. He, for some reason, of all the jelly, in the jelly packages, I guess they had forgotten to put the jelly in this particular uh, plastic thing. But then he hears little Johnny's mom in the back, Johnny, I told you not to play with your food, and here you have jelly all over your face. <laughs> Apparently, what had happened when my dad had taken that jelly and, and, and <laughs> done this, the force of his arm had caused that jelly to fly in the air through the seat and splattered all over Johnny's face. All over little Johnny's face. And little Johnny, poor kid, he's so innocent just sitting there obeying his mom. Next thing you know, a bunch of jelly on his face out of nowhere. <laughs> out of nowhere. And I asked, hey, Dad, did you, you, know, did you uh, stand up for little Johnny and tell him that it wasn't his fault? They didn't say a thing. <laughs> Little Johnny had to deal with the consequences of the jelly all over his face. It's a funny story, right? I mean, how, if you were little Johnny, <laughs> you're sitting there, next thing you know, you have jelly all over your face. It is a funny story what happened. But in, in a deeper sense, what happened to little Johnny sometimes happens to all of us. Sometimes we find ourselves figuratively with a problem, <laughs> with jelly all over our face. Maybe we didn't intend it to happen. Maybe it wasn't our choice. Maybe it's the choices of other people that made our life more difficult. But there are some times in life where we find ourselves in tough situations, situations where we have found ourselves in a mess. Times in our life when we're experiencing crisis or we're waiting for results of a, of a certain medical procedure or our children aren't getting along, there are certain times in life where, just like little Johnny, we find ourselves with a mess. And I think we've been talking about Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, specifically Hebrews chapter 11 these past couple weeks. And we've been talking about how the recipients of this particular letter are people who are experiencing pain. They're experiencing discomfort. It's, it's believed that the recipients of this letter were in enduring persecution. These particular readers, they were of Jewish heritage who all of a sudden declared Jesus as Lord. And when they declared Jesus as Lord, there were consequences to this proclamation. Some of them were, were outcasts from their Jewish homes or some of them were experiencing persecution from the Roman Empire. We don't know exactly what was going on in the book of Hebrews, but we do know this, that these readers were struggling. They were discouraged. 
they had made this commitment to Jesus, but they were wondering, was it worth it to be a follower of Jesus? Is it worth it? And then as, as the writer says in Hebrews 10, yes, it is worth it. Jesus is worth it. And in fact, here is the key. Faith. Remain faithful because faith, this word faith, pistis, the author of Hebrews says, this word faith is, is going to be what sustains you. This is going to be the energy force that allows you to conquer and to, to be able to endure the pain that is ahead of you. It is faith. Faith in God, faith in Jesus, it is the faith that will allow you to continue to walking down a path that may not be what you desired or may not be comfortable. And so he goes in and talks about how there are certain people that really embody what faith looks like because faith is a hard word to define. Faith is one of those words that really is hard to nail down the specific meaning and it's best when you look at the example of others. And so he talks about how faith, the, the faith of Abel, was one that we can look at too as an example. Last couple of weeks we talked about Enoch and the faith of Enoch and how, Phoenix, how Enoch walked with God. And how this intimacy with God that we see in the life of Enoch, this was something that pleased God. And the int intimacy with God, relationship with God is something that really can, this is a part of faith. And so finally we get to today's text and if you have your Bible, this is in Hebrews chapter 11, the 11th chapter of Hebrews. I believe in your pew Bibles, if you don't have a Bible, please, we have these Bibles that are in front of you. You can take them home, put them by your bedside table, read it at night if you want to. But this particular story, this particular uh, passage is in, on page 1,874, 1,874. And so uh, this is another example of what faith can look like, a real-life example that the author of Hebrews shares with the readers as an example of what faith can be like and how it plays out in one's life. And this is a well-known story. I think all of us know this. It's one of the most famous Bible stories that, that, we, that are around. It's found in children's books and art above cradles, I mean above uh, cribs and all that. But here it is. It's about Noah. If we read together in verse 7 of chapter 11, By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. So here we have another example, Noah is the example today. And you know, like I said before, Noah is the most, one of the most popular Bible stories. But if we really sit down and think about this story, what was asked of Noah, how ludicrous is it? How crazy is it that here Noah is living his life, you know, just living his life like a normal man. You know, it's a crazy world at the time. There's unrighteousness, but Noah seems to be one who is following with God, and all of a sudden God says, hey, Noah, I need you to build an ark. And Noah's like, hey, what's an ark? No, no. Noah realizes, hey, I am called by God to do something absolutely crazy, ludicrous, to take wood and nails and start in my backyard building a boat because God has told me that one day there will be enough rain that will allow the world to flood and this boat will become useful. 
I mean, can you imagine just the, I mean, really, how crazy is it for Noah to build this ark on dry land? But here's the deal. The story says that he did it. And we know how the, the story ends. He built this ark. The rains did come. He put all the animals in the ark. And he was out there, uh, and the dove came, and he saved hum- humanity, according to the story. I mean, this is just a, a radical story of faith of someone who did something crazy. You know, in the same lines, I mean, there's even something crazy in the next particular verse, in verse 8, when it talks about Abraham. And it says that Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive <clears throat> as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. So here we have another story where God calls Abraham to go and move all of his belongings to a different place. I mean, two stories back to back of God asking people to do crazy things. Things that the, those around would make fun of them for. Things that no one would understand and they did it. They acted and they responded to God's call and they did it. You know, the word that comes to mind Really the word, when I was reading these stories in preparation, the word that really just kept coming up again as a description of this type of faith is courage. Courage. I mean, just think about the courage that Noah had to have. The faith that Abraham had to have to just up and leave and go somewhere. Or, you know, like again, Noah building this ark in in face of ridicule or, or a promise that it would rain one day. And here we learn in Hebrews 11 that faith, we see through these examples that faith is having courage. It's having courage to act on the promises of God when sometimes it makes no sense in light of what we see in the world. I mean, faith is having the courage to live, to live in a certain way that only makes sense in light of the promises of God. Faith and courage are linked. You have to have courage to live this type of life. Because you can't see it, and so you're, you're banking on the promises of God. And it makes no sense, this type of living, unless you take that leap of faith and you have that courage to trust in God. So, man, this is what we can learn from. How can, how can we have this courage? How can we be people of courageous faith? Well, we're going to really hunker down today on Noah. We're going to look at this particular story. And there's three things that I think really stand out in the Noah story that talks about how we, as a community of faith, can be people of courageous faith. That we can be people who are courageous in the way that we live, knowing that we're living in such a radical way. It only makes sense in, by putting pro- our, our trust in the promises of God. The first thing is this, that cur- courageous faith belongs or begins with an intimacy with God. And we'll see that Noah and his int- intimacy with God led him to be a person of courage. The second, courageous faith continues with a holy fear. And we'll talk about what this holy fear is, is talking about in Hebrews eleven seven. And finally, we'll talk about today that courageous faith is one that takes action and takes that leap, understanding and putting our trust in the promises of God. So, you know, beginning with this idea of intimacy— Courageous faith begins with an intimacy with God. I mean, we know about Noah and the ark, 
But if you go back all the way to Genesis chapter 6, if you, you can turn your Bible that way if you want. I think I'll have it on the screen as well. But it really gives us a glimpse into who Noah was in Genesis 6, verse 9. This is before the, 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 the flood story. This is to telling, him about telling the reader who Noah was. And it says in Genesis 6, verse 9, This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man blameless among the people of his time. So we know that you know, he was already living in such a radical way that was different from everybody else. He was banking on the promises of God. He was faithful to God, and so he was living differently than everybody else. But here's what I really love, a description about Noah. It says, and he walked faithfully with God. He walked faithfully with God. This is the same thing that was talked about with Enoch. Enoch also walked faithful with God. And this is, of course, a metaphor. <laughs> it's a metaphor for intimacy with God. Someone who is aligned with God. Someone who is so close with God. There's a relationship there. Literally not walking with God, but literally walking with God. Because this person is so in line with how God created the world and walking in line. It, it, it reminds me of that quote from Soren Kierkegaard about, about, about prayer. How when someone prays, it doesn't necessarily change God, but it changes the one who prays. And someone who is walking with God, that intimacy with God, you begin to see the world as God sees the world. You begin to see the world as Jesus saw the world. When we're walking with God, and we're intimate with God. When we're in communion with God, and we begin to live in the rhythm of how God created the world, we begin to transform and to see things the way God sees them. And we begin to have these urges from the Spirit in our heart. We begin to, to, to see things differently. Sometimes we have these callings to do something differently. You know, uh, last night, we got together as the entire family. We got my parents we had my sister and her, her husband, and we went up to her house in way north Dallas. And what had happened was, is uh, last Christmas, we had given my family a gift. We had said, all right, I wanted the gift from our, our family to all my family was a DNA test from Ancestry.com. And so, hey, we're going to do this. We're going to give you the test at Christmas, to, you know, spit in that thing, send it to those guys. When the results come in, let's have a big reveal. And so we scheduled, we coordinated the, the, the calendars, and it just so happened that yesterday was the big reveal. So we had everything in folded envelopes. Nobody knew their results. And we sat around the table, and we began to uh, reveal the DNA, <laughs> which, was, you know, one of the coolest things was that I found out that my dad has 1% of Southern Africa, which means that I have 0.5% of Southern Africa. Uh, that's amazing. That, that's awesome, right? Uh, my mom was pretty much uh, Western Europe, uh, but it, it was really cool just experience just to be there and kind of learn more about ourselves. And my mom that night, last night, told a story of something that had happened earlier uh, this month about how she was at a prayer gathering at the A&M Church of Christ where uh, they attend, and they were praying for each other, and she saw somebody who was also praying, and she felt this urge, this, this nudging from the Spirit to go talk to her and to go pray with this woman. And so uh, many of you sometimes may have had these kind of urges or feelings. And so she goes and she acts upon that prompting. And she goes and talks to this woman. And sh sure enough, 
she was realized that this woman, unknowing to her, was hurting, was in pain. And it began this series of events. This happened, this happened, this happened. And through the series of events, there has this, been re- this reconciliation that has happened between two parties that was never, it, it was out of anyone's scope at the time. And it all started because of an urging and a prompting to go talk and pray with somebody and an acting upon that urging. And the question is, have you, have you ever felt the Spirit urge you to do something in your life? Urging you to do something that you knew to be right? I mean, how many of you have been like driving in the car and you think about someone to call and you call that person just because they came into your brain and you realize right when you call them, they're going through a very, very tough time. I think that, you know, these are weird things that happen. You can't can't explain it, right? But, you know, there's something when someone is intimate with God, when someone is walking with God and the Spirit is speaking through this person and there's nudges and urging, it takes us into great places and we are called to act upon these things. But it requires courage to take really a step forward with these urgings. Which brings us to the next point. Courageous faith continues with holy fear. Because we see in the story of Noah, Noah was warned by God that there was going to be a, uh, there was going to be a flood. There's going to be rain. He was warned by God. But then it says, the next part, it says, by faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. In holy fear, built an ark to save his family. So here we have a point that courageous fear, it starts with intimacy. It starts with this, this, this urging from the Spirit. Because if, if Noah wasn't so close with God, he wouldn't have gotten this warning. But he got this warning. And then it says, holy fear is what allowed him to continue down this path. What does this mean? What does this mean? Because most of the time when we talk about fear in church, it's a bad thing. We don't talk about fear in a good thing. We say don't be afraid. I mean, it was Jesus on the Sea of Galilee that rebuked his disciples for being afraid when the storms came. There's also that passage in 2 Timothy 1.7 where Paul admonishes those out of fear. He says, God has not given believers a spirit of fear. So you have scriptures that speak against this fear. But then on the other hand, you have scriptures in Proverbs 1-7 that teaches that fearing the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So what is the difference here? What is the type of fear that actually pleases God and what's the kind of fear that doesn't? Well, here is, is the main difference, right? The holy fear part. The word in Greek that is there is ulabia. Can you guys say ulabia? That is the word in Greek that speaks of fear, but this fear that is referred to in the New Testament, it isn't that kind of horror film shocking fear or the startling fear, but it's more of a reverence. It's more of a respect. It's like a king and his subjects, a, 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 just a, a holy fear. It's not the kind of fear that's cheap or a kind of fear that's the, the shock factor. You know, I'm not going to mention any names, but there's an example of this kind of fear I'm not going to mention any names again, but our youth minister, <coughs> um, again, no names, she's been doing this thing around the office 
where she'll sit in, in, a, in a room, and she'll get her iPhone camera, and she'll start to film. And then when someone walks in, she'll go, ah! <laughs> and she'll try to scare them. And then she films people's reaction to the startling. Uh, you know, this is not the kind of fear. <laughs> this is the fear we're talking about in the New Testament. You know, this kind of fear that's in, that is talked about in Hebrews, this is a holy reverence. It's, it's a beautiful fear of, of so much respect that there, that, that there is this, this reverence and this wanting to please because of the respect that we have, like a king to his subjects. Another example is like a parent and their child, right? Like this is the ideal where there is a holy fear, parents and children. Because, you know, parents, Tara and I, we have a certain set of rules. We have things that we want to in our house that will help our family. We want our kids to live a certain way and make choices, you know. And so there's different ways about it. The best way would be like a reverence, right? Like where they respect us so much. It's not a fear-based, like they're scared, but it's more of a respect-based fear, a reverent fear. I mean, I don't know if you have kids. How I many you have kids, right? We have three boys, one girl. And so right now with our three boys, I mean, one of our values is that they shower. <laughs> That's a, it's a high value for us, that they shower before bed. But as you know, you know, with boys, sometimes it can be a struggle, right? But even though they struggle, it's, it's even more important because they play soccer, they're out there playing, they're, they're sweaty. It is a value for us that our kids shower, <laughs> you know? And so, you know, we, we try to give these, uh, you know, these rules and you know, here's the deal, like, you know, we could threaten them, and we could, which we have, <laughs> you know, we could, uh, we could do these and, and really create an environment where they are so afraid, like a, like a, like a horror afraid, and, and not a respectful afraid, and they'll shower just in spite, but the long-term effects may not be what we desire, but if we create an environment where there's a respectful reverence towards the, the, the uh, vision and, and really the dreams of our family, the, the rules that we have, and they choose to shower on their own just because it's best for the family. And it's because what mom and dad believe to be true and right and holy. <laughs> We're talking about showering here. <clears throat> but it's this idea of a parent-child relationship. This, this is the fear that's talked about in, in Hebrews 11 that, that Noah had. It wasn't this shocking, cheap fear. What this was, was like looking at a king or just an amazing, a reverence to how God, how amazing God is. And then after that, a trust in what God says to be true. When we have a reverence for something like that, then we begin to believe that what that person says, what God says specifically, we can put our trust in that. This is a, it's a courageous faith to live out this holy fear. And so we have the, the human fear, and we have, you know, the holy fear. And like, can you imagine, like, Really where we get caught up as Christians is that we put our, we put our, our faith or our emphasis on another person's uh, idea on us. And we fear the wrong thing. Sometimes we fear how other people view us. Or we fear the way the world will see us. And, and so we put our fear in the wrong thing. But here Noah shows us that it's a holy fear. It's a, it's a fear that's directed towards God. I mean, can you imagine the amount of jokes that Noah had to endure, but he chose to fear the right thing. I mean, listen, if I, was a, if I was there, I would make fun of Noah. I mean, I got all these jokes already. 
I mean, just imagine if Jake was there, I'd, see, I'd point to Noah and say, hey, Jake, hey, are you interested in a, in a cruise? I know a guy. Or, you know, I say, hey, Jake, you know, wanna, you know who the, the, the richest man in the world is going to be? This guy Noah will be. You know why? Because he's going to float his stock and we're all going to be in liquidation. <laughs> let that go, let that go, let it sink in. <laughs> or Jake, man, how is Noah going to eat his hot dogs tonight? Two by two. I mean, can you imagine the jokes this guy had to endure? But the thing about Noah, the thing we can learn is that Noah chose to fear the right thing. He wasn't fearful of the viewing of men and how they perceived him to be. He wasn't fearful of the jokes. He wasn't fearful of being ostracized by his society. But what he chose to fear was a holy fear. He, began, he's, he chose to have a reverence towards God and a, a, a reverence towards the teachings of God and trust that what God says will actually happen. So here we have it. We have the worldly fear. Worldly fear paralyzes us. It causes us to shrink back to protect ourselves. But a holy and a godly fear, what Noah had, it moves us forward. It causes us to act in trusting in God's direction and plan. The final thing, the final step is that we take that first step. <laughs> Hebrews eleven seven. it says, By faith Noah, when warned about things not seen, he had the intimacy with God where he could be warned and, and what God spoke to him. Then in holy fear, he, holy fear, he, had a, he was fearing the right thing. He, was, he had reverence for God to the point where he would do anything to please God. It says here that he built an ark to save his family. He acted. It was a verb. He did something with it. God spoke to him. He chose the right thing to fear. And then he took that step. And that's the message for us today. You know, last week Larry Henderson talked about really empowering us to take that next step. He told those stories that were there about these great people all over the world doing great things. And he looked at us and he said, now what about you? What is the next thing for you? What step are you going to take? It doesn't necessarily mean going to Sudan. But what in your life, what does courage look like? A faithful courage look like in your life today? What has God put on your heart? And do you have the courage today to live faithfully to that prompting that God gave you? I don't know, I, I'm sure I'm not the only one here, but there are all sorts of people out here in this church. We have ideas. We have notions. We have the urges of the Spirit, the promptings of God. We have these, but we're not acting on them. We're not taking that step because we can't see how it's going to come out. Or number two, we, we don't feel ready. Or number three, we don't have the resources. Or number four, we are afraid of the wrong thing. We're afraid of failure or we're fearful of the, the views of men. But the message of Noah today, and what we can learn about courageous faith, is that when we have these promptings, that we know are from God, we know are true, we know are right, we know that will contribute to a better world. Let's commit to each other today to do it, to take that step, to trust in Jesus, this Jesus 
who we also read takes the loaves and the fish and he multiplies it. Let's trust in that story. That God can take whatever the notion this is and he can make something beautiful out of it. Just start. That's the message of courageous faith. God is maybe speaking with you to you. Do you have the faith, the courageous faith, to do whatever it is that you know is the right thing to do next? Maybe that's standing up at the office for something that is wrong. Maybe that is doing something in your neighborhood or inviting that person into your home that, that you've always wanted to but you haven't. There is something, there are things in your life that God has been urging you to do. The message of Noah and to be faithful to that is to do it and to take that step. And when things get tough, when we find ourselves with jelly on our face, when we didn't intend for it to happen, the scriptures say that it's in those times that we look to Jesus. Hebrews 12, it ends with this amazing, well, it begins, really ends Hebrews 11, but starts Hebrews 12, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Looking at this cloud of witnesses that that are there and fixing our eyes on Jesus who is the author and perfecter of faith. And if there's anyone that knows about courage, this is the example. Because what does it say in Hebrews 12? That he endured the cross and he despised the shame and is right now sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. I can't wait to hear your stories. I can't wait to hear the stories of how God is prompting you and how you have stepped out in courageous faith to do whatever it is that God has called you to do. We can learn from Noah. Every week we offer an invitation, and the invitation this week is for you to take that step, to be courageous, to do it. You've been thinking about it. You know it's from God. You know that God has spoke to you about this thing. Do it and believe and trust in God, the same God that multiplied the loaves the same God that takes care of those in, that are in, 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 in trouble is the same God that will be faithful to you. We uh, will sing a, a beautiful song to end today. And if you need prayers, I'll be up front. If you have questions about baptism, I'm here as well. We have the shepherds on the side that would be so honored to pray with you. If, if whatever it is you need encouragement to take that step, they will pray with you and, and walk with you along that as well. But why don't we together make that commitment to live that courageous faith and fix our eyes on Jesus? And why don't you come while together we stand and sing?